Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, happy Easter. So glad that you are here today, and thanks for taking the time to join us. I don't, it might be, I don't know, my, my need for affirmation, or it might be my age. I'm not sure. I still get a kick out of going to the mailbox. Anybody else? Like, when I, when I open it, I'm just sure there's something special inside for me, you know? Most days, I'm disappointed, right? It's bills. It's junk mail, right? Your, your house, too? Except one day this week, I got an envelope, and I was like, huh? Kind of odd. Didn't expect it. Didn't think it would come. So I opened it up. There was this thing inside of there I hadn't seen in years called a letter. <laughs> right? Not typed up. Not like a form letter. A friend of mine took a piece of paper and a pen and wrote me a letter. Like, I'm cool with email. I text all the time. But I got to tell you, that letter was really special because he took the time to write that to me. And from the best that I can tell, he did it because he wanted to encourage me. And it it really hit me in a very special way. I was was really thankful for that. And then I got thinking about what we're going to talk about today. If you're you're not familiar with the Bible, the the Bible's divided up into two parts. There's an Old Testament and a New Testament. And the New Testament is all the part that's written about Jesus and then what happened after Jesus as the church started. And a big chunk of the books that we have in the New Testament are a collection of letters, letters that were written to people, letters that were written to, to churches in different cities. And they're letters that were written by the leaders of the church in the first century. One of those leaders was a guy named Peter And Simon Peter, we sometimes call him, wrote two letters that we have in our Bible. And so we decided to name them very creatively. The names of the two letters that Peter wrote are 1 Peter and 2 Peter. That's sharp, isn't it? Like, that's slick, the way whoever thought of that. And so we have these two letters. The letter that he wrote, 1 Peter, he wrote to a group of people in a church that were struggling. Because, like, the economy was difficult. And the government was tough. And they were going through hard times. And on top of all of just the normal stuff, they were being persecuted. They were suffering and struggling because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And so Peter writes them this letter because he senses inside that maybe they're hopeless. Like he's hearing back word that they're going through a really tough time. And so as he writes this letter, he wants to give them some hope in a hopeless time. Now, in the, in the first century, if you were going to write a letter, there was a formula that you would follow. You probably remember your third grade teacher had you do the same thing, Right? There's a formula you got to follow when you're doing a letter. Well, they had a formula that at the beginning of a letter, you, you would say who you were, and then you would give some kind of greeting. And then in the Greek culture at that time, the next kind of few lines in that letter would mention one of the gods in, in their Greek mythology and would thank them for some blessing that they thought came from that God. Well, when the Christians began to write letters to one another, they swapped that out, and they began to use that part to talk about the God, to talk about Jesus, and to talk about blessings and theological concepts. So when Paul writes this letter, here's how he begins it. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy... He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter's writing to these people who need hope, and he mentions these things to to them. The mercy, 
the new birth, the living hope that are there. And what's interesting is you could just look at that and go, well, Peter's just kind of filling in the blanks. He's just following the formula of his time. I think there's more to it than that. Have you learned that there's always more to the story? <laughs> it's like there's always more going on than what we see. And I think, you know, Peter mentions the resurrection there. And I think when he mentions the resurrection, it means so much more than just some theological concept. He's not just talking about some philosophy. He's, he's not just focusing on Easter because it's a day where we, where we have to come around and talk about these things. Because when Peter talks about the resurrection, he's talking about a time and a place where he was actually there. He had a front row seat to what happened in Jerusalem when Jesus was raised from the dead. And he knows this, that the story of Easter changes everything. It changed his life. And he mentions the resurrection because for people without hope, he knows it can change their life as well. So here's what I want to do. I want to take three quick looks at three stories from the life of Simon Peter and I want to show you the progression of what happens and why when he writes about great mercy and a new birth and a living hope and about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he's not just writing something because he feels like he has to. He's writing it from his own story. Three things that I want you to see about the Easter story. Number one, Easter is a story of great mercy. Easter is a story of great mercy. If you don't know Peter's story... He grew up in a, in a region of what we know today as Israel in a part around what's called the Sea of Galilee. So he grew up in this Galilee region. And like many people in that area, he became a fisherman. And he had a pretty successful fishing business going on. And then Jesus comes along one day and says, hey, Peter, I want you to come and I want you to follow me. And so Peter leaves his, his fishing boats and he becomes a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we know that for three years, he follows Jesus day in, day out, goes around with him preaching and teaching all over that region into, into the different parts of Israel. And they go and they go to these places. And then on the night before Jesus was crucified, right? we, we talk about that story this week, Good Friday when Jesus was crucified. And then he was in the tomb for those three days. On the night before Jesus was crucified, Peter makes a pretty bold statement. Listen to what he says. Luke chapter 22, verse 33. But Peter replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Does that sound like a bold statement? Like he's, he's, he's putting himself out there. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. What a contrast. Peter says, I'll die for you. Jesus says, mm, I'm not so sure about that, Pete. Here's the rest of the story. Let, let me read to you what happens a few hours later. Luke chapter 22, verse 54. Then seizing Jesus, this is after his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. Then seizing Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. It's never good when you start a sentence with the word woman, is it? You're just setting yourself up, Pete. Verse 58, a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. But an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, 
The rooster crowed. Remember what Jesus said? The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Can you imagine what that moment was like for Peter? The, the realization of what he had done after the bold promises that he had made? And then even further, to take, take that one more step, do you think that was something that he easily just pushed out of his mind? Or do you think that's something that kept coming back to his thoughts over and over again, that he had denied his Savior? I'm sure it was something that there were many moments where he regretted that. Do you have anything that you regret? I think for all of us, there, there is some word that we've spoken or some action that we've taken, some, some way we've treated another person or something that we've done that we look back at. We go, yeah, I'm not proud of that. I regret that I ever did that. In the last month, there was a, a guy, 64-year-old. We're not sure whether he was a diplomat or a journalist or what, but for some reason, they granted him the opportunity to, to take a, a sample ride in a, in a jet that belongs to the French Air Force. And so he got to sit in the back of this fighter jet, right? And you've got the pilot up front, and they're in the cockpit, and they take off. And shortly after takeoff, for some reason, the guy in the back just ejected out of the back of the jet. They don't know why. They're not sure. And he ended up, you know, the parachute deploys, and he ends up landing on the runway. He got banged up pretty good. The best that they can figure is he was sitting back there and kind of went, I wonder what this thing does, right? <laughs> I mean, he, so he didn't, he didn't have good training or he just decided to pull a lever that he shouldn't have or whatever it was. We're, we're not exactly sure. Here's what I know. He did something that I'm going to guess he regretted. <laughs> all of us have pulled a lever at some point. Like at some point, we've all pressed the button. We've made the choice. We spoke the words. We crossed the line. And at some point, we have to realize that's every single one of us. And you might, you might be quick to be a little hard on Peter and go, how could he ever deny Jesus? Can I just be honest with you? We all have denied Jesus. Like at some point, every one of us have turned our back on him. The Bible says that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned, the Bible says. And you might go, what's it look like to deny Jesus? I've, I've never said anything like Peter did. You know what? We deny Jesus when we choose our ways over his ways. When we say, you know, God, I, I, I know you would rather have me go that way, but I, I want to go this way. I, I know this is probably what you think is best, God, but this is what I think is best. When we choose our ways over his ways, we deny him. We deny Jesus when we care more about what others think than about what God thinks. And that's all of us. We've all made those choices and decisions. This is where that whole story takes us back to Good Friday and takes us back to the cross because Jesus knew that even though we would all deny him, he chose to die for us, to give his life for us on the cross because through his death on the cross, he paid the price for our sins. And for many of us, we, we look at this and we go, I don't understand it. I don't get it. But understand this, that was an act of great mercy, what Jesus did on that cross. And please know, we do not deserve mercy. That's what makes it great. Like when, when Peter writes to this church and he says to them, you have been given great mercy, not because you've earned it, not because you deserve it, but because God loves you so much that he gave it. Now, as I talk about mercy, I, I, I very quickly want to kind of talk to two different groups of people. One is those of you who would hear this and say, I, I don't think I can receive it. 
I don't think I can receive that mercy because I know what I've done, and I know I have denied Jesus. I have turned my back on him. I have walked away. I know my habits. I know my sins. I know my story, and I'm not so sure how I could ever receive that mercy. Can I tell you that Jesus is not looking at you and telling you, you need to earn it, and then I'll give it to you. He's not saying you need to clean your life up, and then you can have it. We looked at this on Good Friday, and we talked about this, how when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified with, a, with another criminal on either side of him. Have you heard that part of the story? And there was a criminal on either side, and the one was throwing insults at Jesus the whole time he was being crucified, but the other one said, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, will you remember me? And in that moment, Jesus did not say to him, hey, once you clean your act up, <laughs> or once you get things right, or once you understand theology, then you can come into my kingdom. Jesus said to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. Because Jesus wasn't concerned about that guy deserving his mercy. He was more interested in giving that guy his mercy. And you might say, but I'm not so sure I'm good enough or, or, or have, have lived the right kind of life to receive mercy. God says it doesn't matter. He doesn't give you his mercy because of who you are. He gives you his mercy because of who he is. And because he loves you. And get this, because whether you realize it or not, because you belong to him. Look, Ron and I have, have three children. They're uh, uh, 23, 20, and 18 are their ages. When I was a much younger preacher and they were smaller, they gave me all kinds of great sermon illustrations. <laughs> not so much anymore. I'm not that younger preacher anymore. I'm just a very young preacher now. That's, that's what I am. But I don't have the same stories, and, and I don't have grandkids yet. But what I do have is a grand dog. And so Clayton and Ari were out of town, and so we, we watched their, their, their puppy, Griffin, for a little while, and, and almost, almost two weeks while they were coming and going, and this was, uh, this, was, this was kind of fun. Now, we have a dog that's 12 years old, and he gets the drill. He knows how it works. What we do at our house, we just basically lay around, right? That's what we do. And we don't make messes. We've got this all figured out. But Griffin the puppy does not know that. And so this dog came into my house and did things that should not be done, right? In my house. And what did I do? Did I kick him out? Did I throw him out? This is really weird. And I'm just telling you, if I'm talking this way about a puppy, look out when I have grandkids. Those stories you're going to hear, right? Seriously, though, think about this. I, I didn't, and I can't figure it out, because if you have a dog, that's cool. I'm happy for you. This isn't my dog. It's my grand dog. I love this little dog. I let him get away with things in my house that should not be done. Do you know why? Because he belongs to me. He's, he's a part of my family, even in this crazy little way. And I'm stepping back and saying, Chad, you should not give this cute little furball such mercy. And sometimes we look at ourselves, and we look at God, and we say, God, there is no way you should give me such mercy. And he says, yeah, that's what makes it great. There's another group of you that I think is really important for you to hear something today, though. It's not just those of you who say, I'm not so sure I can receive it, but there's always some of us that say, you know, I'm not so sure I need it. I mean, I hear you talk about God, and I hear you talk about his love, and I hear you talk about his mercy, but let me just be honest with you. I, I'm not so sure I need that mercy. Can I tell you this? We often avoid the thing that we need the most, and we often push away the thing. 
that would make the most difference in our lives. And sometimes what we have to do is we have to stop long enough to realize what the real state of our, our life is in so many ways. It's interesting. It tells us that Peter denied Jesus for the third time, and then at that point, the Lord looked at him. The best we can surmise is that at that very moment, they were transferring Jesus from the hearing that he was in at the high priest's house to where his trial would continue. And as Jesus passed through there, Peter was speaking his last denial. Do you ever get busted by your teacher saying something you shouldn't? <laughs> Imagine getting busted by Jesus. And in that moment, it says Jesus looked at him. And if you dig into that word, it, it, it didn't mean that he looked at him with anger. It didn't mean that he looked at him with disgust. It meant that he looked right at him and made a connection with him. Just so Peter would know, Peter, I'm still right here. You can turn your back on me, but I'm still right here. And in that moment, that's when Peter saw things more clearly. That's when he saw what he had done and his need for mercy. Look, for some of you, in this moment, Jesus is, is looking right at you, and he's looking at your heart, and he's saying to you, I'm here with mercy to offer you, because Easter is a story of great mercy. Let me show you a second thing about the Easter story. Number two, Easter is a story of new life. When Peter wrote his letter, he said to them that there is a new birth, that there is a new life that's available because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, let me tell you about that a little bit, because Peter was there. He saw it. The Bible tells us that Peter and another one of Jesus' disciples, a guy named John, both of them were at the tomb the day that Jesus was resurrected. Here's the story. John wrote it for us. He wrote a, a, a book in the Bible called The Gospel of John that tells us the story of Jesus. And here's what he wrote about that day. John chapter 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So this is the Easter story, right? The tomb's empty. We celebrate that. <laughs> but they didn't know that. They just thought somebody stole the body. So watch what happens next, verse 3. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Do you notice so far that they've referred to this other guy with Peter as the other disciple, as if he didn't have a name reality was in the, in the first century in ancient literature, oftentimes if you were writing about yourself, you wouldn't use your name. You would find another way to refer to yourself. So John refers to himself in this book as the other disciple. And it says that when these two guys heard there was a problem at the tomb, what's the first thing they did? They said, we're going to go fix it. Any fixers in the room? <laughs> right? That when there's something, you're like, I'll fix it. I'll get there. I'll, I'll make it happen. Verse 4. Both were running but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I don't know that that verse is necessary. Right? Do you think the other disciple had to make sure we knew that he was faster? Right? I just, I don't know. I got a kick out of that. You go, John. That's awesome. Verse 5. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. That's just a classic Moved by Simon Peter. He charges in on things. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place. 
separate from the linen. Do you see what happened? They went in, and they expected to see nothing, but they saw something. The, the, the grave clothes that Jesus had been wrapped in, that ancient practice, they were still there, but the body wasn't there. It was almost like it had been, I don't know, resurrected, you know? Verse 8. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. When they recognized this, that Jesus had been resurrected, that he was no longer dead, it says that they believed, that John's response in that moment was to believe. But I love what he goes on to say. He says, we believed, but we still didn't fully understand. Like, like we didn't get all the, the finer points of this. We didn't have our theology right yet. We just knew that we could believe in what Jesus had said about him coming back to life, even though we didn't understand it. That's really important because we can have a tendency in our lives to look at something and go, I don't fully understand it, so I'm going to push it away. Like we do that a lot with God. We do that a lot with the resurrection. Here's what I want to encourage you with today. You can believe without fully understanding. You can believe something without fully understanding. I know it's a little weird, but think about this for a minute. Like, think about bridges. All right, when I go over a suspension bridge, I'll just be honest, I don't understand all the finer points of the engineering. I don't necessarily know exactly how it works. I just know that when I'm on that bridge over troubled water, I'm going to believe. I put my confidence in that thing. Airplanes are the same thing. I don't get the fine details of how thrust and aerodynamics work. I just know that when I'm up in that massive vehicle, and it takes off, and it goes up there, even though I don't understand it, I believe I can fly. I believe I can touch the sky. I think about it every night and day. I spread my wings and fly. Like, in that moment, I believe. So now you got to think about this in the same way. I don't understand everything about God, and I don't know that I can explain the resurrection totally to you. I just know that at some point, I have to acknowledge that I believe. Here's what, what Paul tells us about salvation. He says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. There's a lot about God, and there's a lot about the resurrection that I don't understand. But if I'll confess that Jesus is Lord, and I'll believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, then I know, according to God's word, that I can be saved. There was, a, there was a Muslim college student who decided to surrender his life to Christ. He came to believe in Jesus, and one of his friends was shocked and said to him, why did you become a follower of Jesus? Let me read his response to you. He said, it's simple, really. Imagine that you're walking down a road, and you come to a fork in the road, and there are two people there to follow as your guide along the way. One of them is dead, and one of them is alive. Which one will you follow? I choose to follow Jesus because he's alive, and he has promised that life to me as well. This is the Easter story. This is why we sang that song earlier today, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. This is my story, that Jesus rose from the dead, and I can find life in him because this is a story of great mercy. And Easter is a story of new life. Let me tell you one third thing. Easter is a story of living hope. Easter is a story of living hope. Last story about, about Simon Peter. Now, remember what happened. We, we started with his denial, 
And then he was at the tomb and saw that Jesus had, had been resurrected. And then what, what we'll skip past is at the end of John chapter 20, there's these two times where Jesus shows up in Jerusalem, in the room where they had had the Last Supper together. All of a sudden, when the disciples are there, Jesus just shows up. He doesn't knock on the door. The Bible says he doesn't come through the door. He just kind of shows up through the walls, and Jesus is there. And then after that, well, this happens. Verse, verse 1 of John chapter 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. Compelling dialogue, isn't it? I'm going fishing. Okay, us too. Right? I mean, that's kind of how it... So they went out, got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. I, I joke a little bit about the compelling dialogue, but I, I got to wonder how much they actually had to talk about or how much they were willing to talk about. Could you imagine what they'd been through in those few days? They'd been in Jerusalem. They'd been in the big city. They had gone there thinking they were going for a festival, and they ended up going there to watch the one that they had pledged their life to follow be executed. Peter, in the process, had denied that he ever even knew him. And then when they thought they'd lost everything... They find out that he's alive. He shows up to them kind of, kind of in a very unique way a couple of times to the point that they've got to wonder, now, maybe he's not dead, but is he really alive? Like, is that a ghost? Is, is he really there? Where, where, what do we do now? And then they end up back in their hometown. They go back to Galilee. They go back to where they are from, and they're not sure what happens next because they left everything to follow Jesus, and now they got, they got nothing. And they say, what do I do next? And so Peter says, well, we got, we got to put some food on the table, we got to kill some time. So, boys, I'm, I'm going fishing. And they're like, well, we got nothing else to do. Yeah, we'll, we'll go with you, too. We could use the cash. What, what they really need more than anything else, though, is hope. Because they don't know what's coming next. And they don't know what's around the corner. And in this moment, they live in a place, they live in a, in a season where they need such hope. I would say that we live in a world in need of hope, too, Right? If you don't believe that, think about this. The Center for Disease Control noted recently that we've gone through three years where the average life expectancy in the U.S. has declined. Think about that for a moment. All of our technology, all of our medicine, and yet for the last three years, our average life expectancy has actually declined in the United States. That hasn't happened in over a century and, and stats will tell you it's not because of cancer and heart disease. Those are the things that kind of come to our mind right away. Actually, both of those areas, that people are living longer with those things. Those, those death rates are down. When they look at the facts, the causes of death that are affecting these numbers are drug abuse, the opioid crisis, alcohol-related deaths, and suicide. These are what have been coined the diseases of despair. Some economists from Princeton have done that research. They found that in the last 20 years, the numbers related to those diseases of despair have tripled. On top of that, sociologists have noticed that both the, the birth rate and, and the marriage rate in our country, actually in Western society, have both declined, which seems to be an indicator that people are losing hope. We live in a world where people are searching for hope. How are they going to find it? Go back to the story, verse, verse four. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. 
He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? Nah, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now that sounds like just a fish story, (laughs) but there's more to it than that. Like, think about this. Jesus shows up not just in Jerusalem, the holy city, where all the crucifixion and resurrection and all that action had happened. You know where Jesus shows up? Jesus shows up in Galilee, in their hometown. He shows up on the shores of the lake where they do their job. Jesus knows where you are. He knows where you are. And he's meeting you in that place. In fact, you might go, how does Jesus know where I am? Well, the reality is you're hearing this, aren't you? Jesus is wanting you to know today that Jesus not only knows where you are, but Jesus knows what we are going through. He knew the questions and uncertainty that Peter and his friends had, and Jesus knows what you're going through. He knows how to respond to you and be there. He knows how to give you hope, and Jesus knows what we need. For those, for those guys, they, they needed some fish Not because they were hungry, but because they needed a paycheck. They would take those fish. It was a big catch of fish, too, if you read the rest of the story. They took it, and they could sell that in the village and get the cash that they would need to survive. But he not only met their physical needs, but he showed up. And when you read the rest of that story, you'll find out that he showed up, and he gave them hope. Jesus knows what you need, and he knows how to bring you that hope. If you noticed, all throughout the first part of our service, the things that you saw on the screen had this desert imagery, had this imagery of places that looked desolate and hopeless. But the further we got along in this service, if you noticed, there began more greenery to show up and more water to show up because even in desolate places, God knows how to bring hope. Last verse, John chapter 20, verse seven. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and jumped into the water. Isn't that classic Simon Peter? He's not gonna wait for the boat to get to shore. You boys take care of that. I'm gonna go because that's my hope. I gotta take a step of faith because that's where my confidence is found because what I need from him is great mercy. What I need from him is new life. What I need from him is a living hope, and I can find it because that's my Savior, and he's been resurrected, and because he's alive, I can be alive too. And so Peter took that step of faith. That's why when you read his letter, when you read what he wrote, he wasn't just giving you some formula from the third grade. He said, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy that he gave to me because I even denied him. He has given us new birth. I know it's true because I saw his tomb into a living hope. Take a step of faith and find it through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Look, Jesus is our living hope. And it's only in him that you'll find it. That's the story of Easter. Now, look, I don't want you to just take it from me. I don't don't want you to just hear it from me. I want you to hear a story from someone who at a critical moment in their life found the hope that only Jesus Christ can bring. If you would, please, turn your attention to the screens. I grew up with a... I don't know what I considered at the time a normal family, I guess. You know, we ate dinner at five, we went to church on Sunday. But for me, uh, God was more of um, 
a reverence, uh, a fear, like a, an heirloom that sits on a on the mantelpiece. You don't touch it, look at it, you know, know it's there, and we need to respect it. Um, type of, of relationship with God. Well, I got married probably right out of high school. Um, we had four children and we did the typical family thing. So got them to school, did homework, lived in a, in a nice home and new cars and uh, tried to be good people. You know, that's what my understanding of, of a relationship with God was. Buy the, the dinner for the, the people behind us in the drive-through. You know, kind of thought we were on the right path. I kind of thought I was doing the right thing as far as, as living life goes. 18 years into my marriage, um, my husband at the time uh, had an affair. Um, we ended up with a disillusionment and going our separate ways. So I found myself, you know, um, with a lot of time on my hands. Just started going out with some friends and probably drinking a lot more than I should have, dancing, playing around, partying a little bit more than I should have. It, it became about me a little bit, like, oh, I'm, 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 I'm married right out of school, but now I'm, I'm single. It's time to enjoy some of the luxuries of life. You know, I met someone else and was with him for a little while. We had a child together and uh, Annabelle changed a lot. You know, I was 42, 43 years old and it never had thought I'm gonna be having a child at this time. I had a grandson already, but to be starting over with a child, I, I admit, I kind of was like, what are you thinking, God? <laughs> like, where, where did this come from? Her father was in an accident and he started to basically self-medicate with um, alcohol, any kind of medications, that type of thing. Um, he turned very abusive. I have grandchildren, I now have this child, and two college degrees and I've, you know, I've got this great job and how, how am I in this abusive relationship? Things really kind of went from bad to worse. He had gotten in trouble with the law, so basically my retirement, my savings were gone because I was paying his legal bills and things. And here, all of a sudden, this career I had had for 30 years, the position was moved to a corporate office, so I didn't have a job for the first time in my life. I had a mild heart attack. Every area of my life was pretty much gone. I mean, financially, emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually. At the time that all this was happening, I don't really think I gave God much thought at all. Why would you bless me with this child this late in life if, you're, if my health is gonna go, if I can't take care of her financially? I mean, we got really bad. I mean, going to food pantries for the first time in my life. We had a Christmas where we were sitting around a space heater because we didn't have heat. It got really bad and really ugly. I kept doing what I thought was what I should do. I kept trying to dig myself out, basically. I started having thoughts of, you know, I just, I, I can't keep doing this. The, the pain, the, the, the brokenness, it was, it was almost unbearable. Um, but then I had this child, you know, so you have to keep going. I can't do something, you know, with, when I have this child. But there came a night when I had put her to bed and I was just so, so broken. And I just kept hearing in my head, you know, what chemicals and pills do you, are in this house that could make this end? You know, just let me sleep. You just need to rest. You just need to get some sleep. And this will, you know, help people to understand how bad you're really feeling. Um, and it'll be okay, it'll be okay. And I just, 
just kept having that thought over and over again. Don't let your heart be troubled. Hold your head up high. Don't fear no evil. Fix your eyes on this one truth. God is madly in love with you. Take courage, hold on, be strong. Remember where our help comes from. I put I had put Annabelle to bed, like I'd said, and I had walked back into my bedroom, and I don't know why, I fell to my knees, I was sobbing, and my phone was on the floor. And I don't know why my phone was on the floor, but I know I picked it up. I'm assuming that I must have hit it with my thumb, but what pulled up on my phone was Facebook. And there was this person who was talking. And what, I can't remember the exact words, but it caught my attention. And I started listening, and I continued listening. And he started saying things, you know, you have to surrender to Jesus, give it over to Jesus, um, you know. And I started thinking, yes, that's, that's what I need. I can't do this anymore. So whatever he said, I said, I was on my knees, you know, thank you, God, thank you, Jesus. I, I give it all to you, I'm sobbing, I'm crying. The next morning I woke up and I felt a little different. Um, I felt for the first time, I didn't really know what it was, but it was hope. I literally remember that week, I was probably watching Pastor Shad four and five times a day. Um, it just was, it felt like it was feeding something that I needed and it kept me going forward. Just, I felt so much more hopeful. Um, I felt just so much life, like I hadn't, I hadn't felt. I started, you know, looking at the Bible and then every Sunday we would watch live, Annabelle and I, and we would participate in our living room. Um, you know, with the, with the worship service. And um, there came a time after a little bit that I started feeling I needed to come to the church. And I'll never forget when we walked in, Annabelle saw Pastor Chad in the atrium. She went running up to him and she was like, Pastor Chad, Pastor Chad, you're not in the computer anymore. But I still tear up when I think about that night for a couple of reasons, but a lot of the tears that I feel are just pure joy, such gratitude to what an amazing loving God we have, that he never left me. He never said, oh, she's a lost cause. He you know, worked and fought with whatever he could to save me, to, to find me. I've lost so much more. You know, I've lost anger, bitterness, regret, um, 
There are so many things that have been removed from me. Finding Jesus Christ that night, literally, I was saved twice that night. <laughs> I thought I was in control. I thought, you know, God was with us there and we needed to be good. I need to be a good person. Um, and, but I was in charge of my finances and my career and my children and my life. And I realize now that he's been with me all along. I just didn't recognize it. There were uh, life preservers thrown to me continually, but I just wasn't in a position to see it, to receive it, to recognize it. God is always with you. You can never get too far away from him that he's not with you and he's not gonna accept you back. You know, he loves us that much that he gave his son for us. Don't give up, don't, you're not alone. It's, it's not about what you've done in the past. He doesn't care. He just wants you to come to him at this moment. Jesus, some stories of hope today that a guy like Simon Peter who could literally turn his back on Jesus could see that a risen Lord could change his life he found hope when he took that step of faith and I want to thank Deb for sharing her story with us of how powerfully God knows how to meet you right where you are right when you need him and bring you that hope and on this Easter Sunday I want to make sure that you know that that hope is available to you as well because that's not just Peter's story, and it's not just Deb's story. I can tell you, because I know a lot of folks in this room, there's a lot of people in this room that that's their story. It's my story that Jesus knows how to come alongside of us and bring his life and bring his hope to us right when we need it. See, this is the gospel. This is, this is the whole Easter story, that Jesus died on a cross to pay the price for our sins. And though they thought he was dead, put him in a grave. On the third day, he rose again, and he's alive today. 
And what he did on that cross paid the price for your sins and mine. So when we come to him and ask him to be our savior, he brings us forgiveness. And because he's alive, he can give direction and guidance to our lives. And that's why we ask him to be our Lord. And it's possible that you're here today and you know in your heart right now that what you need more than anything else in your life is for Jesus to be your savior and to be your Lord. Maybe at one time you were in a right relationship with him, but since then something's happened. Like, like you, you've pulled away for somewhere. You feel like maybe God has been distant from you, but you know right now that today you can begin again that relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Or maybe you've searched for this, this hope and you've never found it. And today is a day where you can find it for the first time and you can find peace and you can find meaning and you can find love and you can find forgiveness and find that hope through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I'm gonna ask you to stand with me if you would, please. And all throughout this room, here's, here's what I'm going to invite you to do. If you know that you need Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord, and today you want to begin or you want to begin again a relationship with him through Jesus Christ, would you just raise your hand for me? Just right where you are. You just say, today I need to begin or I need to begin again that relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Just raise your hand kind of right where you are. Today I need to begin or begin again that relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I know this might be a little bit, might be a little bit awkward for some of you. It might take a little bit of courage. But I think there's something significant about what Simon Peter did. And I know it might just be one person in this room. For that one person, this could be the moment that changes your life for eternity. Our team's going to sing that song that we sang earlier today about having a living hope. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And when I say amen... If you know that today you need to begin or begin again that relationship with God through Jesus Christ, I'm going to invite you to step out of your seat and just come and find a place to stand down here and we're going to pray together. Now look, I know that that might seem like a strange thing to ask you to do, but I honestly believe that there's times when a spiritual experience in our lives requires a physical response. And that when you take that step of faith, if you will, you kind of get out of that boat like Peter did. And you say, God, I put my confidence, my trust, and my hope in you that in that moment, there's something transformational that happens inside of us. And so I would encourage you, in this moment, if you know you need Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, when I say amen at the end of this prayer, that you'd come and find a place to stand down here. And maybe, you're even gonna wanna maybe turn to the person next to you and say, hey, do you need to find that hope today? Do you need that hope in Jesus? Because if you do, I'll take that walk with you. You don't have to go by yourself. I, I, would, I would proudly take that walk with you you may want to turn and say that to the person next to you. Father, we look at you right now. And God, we know that you're looking at us. And in this moment, Father, we thank you for your mercy and for your life and for your hope. And God, I pray for the one that in this moment knows that what they need today more than anything else is to begin or begin again that relationship with you, God, through Jesus Christ. And so in this moment, would you give them the faith to take that step as they move towards hope in you, in Jesus' name, amen. As we sing this, if that's you, would you step out of your seat and come and stand here and let's pray together. You know that in this moment, what you need is hope through Jesus Christ. Don't let anything talk you out of it in this moment. If that's you, step out of your seat, come stand here in the center. We wanna pray together. Let's sing that together as they come. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
Now, for those of you that are down here at the front, first of all, we want to celebrate with you right now in this moment. And I don't know, you, you might wonder, why would people clap and celebrate? Because we know what a huge moment this is. Because when you take that step of faith, it puts you in a place where you can receive hope and life from Jesus Christ like no other time in your life. So here's, here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to lead us all in a prayer. For those of you that are, are, are confident that Jesus is your Savior and Lord, you join us in this prayer. If you want to pray that prayer today, I'm going to, I'm going to say the words, and then I'm going to encourage you just to repeat those after me. Now, here's the deal. These words aren't what saves anybody. It's a confession of faith in Jesus Christ. And then when you say this from your heart, you kind of cross that line. You get out of that boat and put your hope in him. So I'm going to lead us in this, and you repeat this prayer with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus, for sending your son to die for my sin. I ask today that you'd forgive my sin and be my savior. You are the living Lord. I give my life to you in Jesus' name, amen. And look, that's the most important prayer that you could ever pray. After the service, and, 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 and Pastor Jordan's going to come and give us a little instruction in just a moment. So I'd encourage you, just, just everybody just kind of stay right where you are for just a moment. But if you'd stop by our Connection Center, we would love to talk and pray with you and, and have a gift to give to you, talk a little bit more about what this means. I also would encourage you with this. I know that when I take a step of faith, right, that, that, that whether it's my head or whether you call it the devil, whatever, whatever you want to call it, there are things that are come and come and tell you, hey, that wasn't real, or that didn't matter, or that didn't really change anything. And those aren't true. <laughs> those are lies. Because when you put your confidence and trust and your hope in Jesus Christ, it makes all the difference in the world. And I think it's awesome what you've done here today. And we want to celebrate that again. Praise God for what he's done here. Let me, let me pray with you. Father, I thank you, God, for the work that you have done in our hearts today. Lord, I pray for my friends who have taken a step to say that what they need from you is hope. God, I pray that you would pour out hope in their lives today. Lord, you know what they're up against. You know the questions they're asking. You know the decisions that they're making. Father, as they look to you today, would you show them your grace and mercy? Would you show them your life? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Father, would you give them hope in Jesus' name? Amen.